This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us this week. My name is Dustin Smith, and I will be your host. Before we get started, I want to encourage our listeners, if you really do enjoy the podcast, to head on over to iTunes and to give us a rating, preferably a five-star rating if you think that we deserve that, and write a comment so that the podcast will be found by other interested persons. I would really appreciate if you could do that for me today. Thanks so much. This week's episode is episode 182, entitled, Paul's Use of Old Testament Yahweh Text for Jesus, Part 1. Yes, this will be Part 1 of a multi-part series, because there is a lot to talk about and to interpret regarding the way that Paul uses Yahweh Text of Jesus. Last week, we introduced the New Testament practice of citing Yahweh passages for Jesus. Some scholars see this interpretive practice as evidence that the New Testament authors held a high Christology from a very early period, perhaps as early as Christianity's inception. Now, we noted in that episode that the attribution of Yahweh text to persons other than Yahweh, especially to Yahweh's qualified and empowered agents, was already taking place in pre-Christian Judaism. So Christians were not being innovative in that practice. We also noted how seeing Jesus as the qualified agent of God, authorized and empowered, made the best sense of the Yahweh text used of Jesus in Mark chapter 1. In this week's episode, we will begin looking at the Apostle Paul, and his interpretive strategy of using the Old Testament Yahweh text. Now, Paul uses Yahweh texts to refer to God, and Paul uses them to refer to Jesus. Does this mean that Paul thought that Jesus was Yahweh? Does this mean that Paul has now collapsed God and Jesus into a single being? Or do the details reveal a more nuanced interpretation that takes into account Paul's monotheism and his constant distinction made between God and Jesus? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is God sharing his name with the risen Jesus. And I think we have to look at one of the most powerful and prominent theological passages where a Yahweh text is used of Jesus, and I think a good place to start is in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, 5-11 is the Christ hymn of the human Jesus emptying himself of his privileges, being humble and dying, and God raising Jesus from the dead and highly exalting him. But at the end of that hymn, we can read in verses 9-10 through 10 that God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's Philippians 2, verses 9 through 10. And this reference of Jesus 
receiving this name to which every knee should bow seems to be drawing from a Yahweh text, specifically Isaiah chapter 45, verse 23. And in Isaiah 45, verse 23, Yahweh himself is speaking in the first person, and he says, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone forth in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. That's Isaiah 45, verse 23. So in the Old Testament, Yahweh is the one that says, To me, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. But Paul seems to regard Jesus as this particular one because Paul says that it is to Jesus that every knee should bow. And in the passage that continues, Philippians 2, verse 11, it says, Every tongue shall confess. So I think it's pretty clear to see that Paul is drawing on this Yahweh passage, and now he's describing Jesus in this way. Now, the interesting part of Philippians 2, specifically this passage in verses 9-10, through 10, that needs to be taken very, very seriously, is the fact that God has exalted Jesus and God has shared his own name with Jesus. It says in verse 9 that God gave to Jesus the name that is above every name. Whose name is above every name? It's Yahweh. And God has shared his own name with Jesus. Now God has invested his name into his authorized agents plenty of times prior to what we see in Philippians 2. If you look back in the Old Testament, we can see in Exodus 23 when Moses is with the Israelites in the wilderness. And God says in Exodus 23, verse 20, that I am going to send an angel before you to guard you along the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Be on your guard before him and obey his voice. Do not be rebellious towards him, for he will not pardon your transgression since my name is in him. That's Exodus 23, verses 20 through 21. Here, God says that he has placed his own name into this angel. And this angel is the one to whom they need to obey. And this angel could potentially pardon transgression. They are not to be disobedient and rebellious to this angel. So God has invested this angel with authority and privilege, but specifically God has placed his own name into this angelic messenger. We can see a little bit more of this, God investing his name into the authority given to Solomon, who was the anointed king. He was the Davidic king. In First Chronicles 29, verse 23, we read that Solomon sat on the throne of Yahweh as king instead of David, his father. First Chronicles 29, verse 23. Here, God has invested his own name into the throne that Solomon was sitting upon. Solomon sat on the throne of Yahweh. Now, Solomon is not up in heaven sitting on the throne. Solomon was in Jerusalem sitting on that throne. But Yahweh has invested his own name into the reign and rule belonging to King Solomon. We also know that God allows his authorized agents, specifically prophets, judges, and kings, to be called God. They are called El and Elohim. 
Moses is called God. The judges in Exodus and Psalms are called God. The Davidic king is called God in Psalm 45. And Hezekiah is called God in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And this is just a sampling of the times where God invests his name and his authority into his agents. We also have in the first century an extra-biblical text, a Jewish text, called the Apocalypse of Abraham, to where there's an angel whose name is Yahoel, Y-A-H-O-E-L. And Yahoel is just another way of saying Yah is God. It takes Yah and El, puts them together, Yah is God. And Yahoel, the angel, says in the Apocalypse of Abraham, chapter 10, that the true God's ineffable name is dwelling in me, end quote. So God's ineffable name, God's name that is so powerful it cannot be spoken, that name is dwelling in this particular angel, whose name is Yahuwah. So if God can invest his name into qualified angels, into human prophets, into righteous human judges, even into the Davidic king, then God can certainly invest his name in his Messiah. Specifically, his Messiah, who was obedient to the point of death, to the point to where God has raised him from the dead and exalted him. And as we see in Philippians 2, God has given to Jesus God's own name. To the point to where things that were formerly said about Yahweh and Isaiah 45 can now be said of Jesus. Not because Jesus is Yahweh, not because Paul has now collapsed Jesus and Yahweh together, but God has shared his name and his authority with the crucified and risen Messiah Jesus. So, does Paul apply a Yahweh text to Jesus in Philippians 2, verses 9 through 10? I think the answer is yes, he does. Paul does apply a Yahweh text to Jesus in Philippians 2. But the manner of this is that Yahweh is sharing his name with Jesus. And it should be pointed out, and this is very important for understanding Paul's theology of the position of Jesus as the exalted Lord, is that this empowerment occurred, according to Paul, after Jesus' resurrection. The position of Jesus as one bearing the name of God is a position that Jesus had after his resurrection, according to Paul's theology. So that's our first text today. Let's look at another text. This moves us to our second point. Point number two, which is calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus in Romans chapter 10. So I'm going to read a couple verses out of Romans chapter 10. I'll start in verse 9. I'll end in verse 13. And in Romans 10, 9, it says, If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it goes on in verse 13, and it says, For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's Romans 10, verses 9 and 13. Now in verse 13, where it says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that is a direct quote, not an inference, not an allusion, but a direct quote from Joel chapter 2, verse 32, which says that everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh shall 
be saved. So this is another passage where I do think that Paul is citing a Yahweh passage for Jesus. It's not an illusion like we saw back in Philippians 2. This is an actual quote, and it is a Yahweh passage in Joel 2, and it is in reference to Jesus in Romans chapter 10. I don't think the reference to Jesus is ambiguous in Romans 10. It is confessing Jesus as Lord and calling upon the name of the Lord, namely Jesus. Now, it's important to also look at the context of what is taking place, what was going on in Joel, and what Paul is doing by taking this passage and now using it in Romans chapter 10. So prior to verse 13 of Romans 10, which says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, we can see a little bit about this referent, the all. Who is the all to whom Paul is referring? In Romans chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. And then the passage goes on in verse 13, For all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is a massive emphasis in Romans 10, specifically in verses 12 through 13, of this all reference, namely to all Jews and all Gentiles who are believing and confessing the lordship of Jesus. And so when Paul sees this passage out of Joel 2, which says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, he's able to see this and draw it on his new present context, his new context to where the everyone calling on the name of the Lord refers to not just believing Jews, but to also believing Gentiles as well. So this phrase, all, showing up three times within that one sentence, in Romans 10, verses 12 to 13, is one single sentence, emphasizes the believing Jews and Gentiles. And that seems to be the major reason that Paul is citing Joel 2.32. However, it's not insignificant that Paul is citing a Yahweh passage for Jesus. So we can't take that off the table and act like that is unimportant. It certainly is important. We can't just act like it doesn't mean anything. Paul is not haphazard with his citations. Now it's important to note that when we see in Romans 10 verse 9 that it is the resurrected Jesus that is in view. It's what Paul has in mind. It is the fact that God has raised Jesus from the dead. So because it is the resurrected Jesus being addressed as Lord, we need to be thinking along the lines of Paul's theology of the resurrected, exalted, and empowered Lord that we already saw in Philippians chapter 2. Remember in Philippians 2, God raised Jesus and God shared with Jesus the divine name. God's name, Yahweh, was given to Jesus. And so, to see Jesus as the resurrected Jesus, who is being confessed as Lord, it's easy to see that this title is not a title that is innate with Jesus. It is a title that Jesus has received from God. God has shared his name, his privileges, and his prerogatives with the crucified and risen Jesus. But Jesus being confessed as Lord, does this indicate that the Yahweh citation given by Paul is meant to tell the readers 
that we are to confess Jesus as Yahweh. In other words, by seeing Romans 10 verse 9, that they are to confess Jesus as Lord, does Paul want his readers to confess Jesus as Yahweh himself? I don't think that this is very likely. I don't think this is the conclusion that Paul wanted his readers to arrive at. Throughout Romans, the manner in which Jesus is Lord is defined as our Lord, your Lord, a Lord that is shared by the Christian believers. Here are a couple of passages. Romans chapter 1, verse 4, which talks about Jesus who was declared to be Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's Romans 1, verse 4. In Romans 4, 24, it says that it will be reckoned to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So there is Jesus our Lord. Romans 4, verse 24. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5, verse 1. There again, the Lord is our Lord. And at the end of Romans, chapter 15, verse 6, it says that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, verse 6. So there, Jesus is our Lord, but God is Jesus' God, and God is Jesus' Father. So the phrase, our Lord, cannot refer to Yahweh, even though Lord comes from the Greek noun Kyrios, and Kyrios was the way that Yahweh was translated from the Hebrew into the Greek Septuagint. But our Lord cannot refer to Yahweh, Lord is a generic title, but Yahweh is a personal name. You cannot say, our Yahweh, and make any sense. There is no Hebrew phrase, our Yahweh. In other words, there is no our Yahweh phrase in the Hebrew Bible that Paul could be drawing upon to refer to Jesus in a way that would indicate to the readers that our Lord is a reference to our Yahweh. That phrase just wasn't in existence. The Old Testament never says, our Yahweh. So Paul is incapable of alluding to that sort of phrase, meaning his readers would be incapable of logically coming to that sort of conclusion. So if our Lord doesn't mean our Yahweh, what does it mean? Well, our Lord is likely drawing from Psalm 110 verse 1. Psalm 110 verse 1 has Yahweh saying to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Here we have two persons. We have Yahweh and we have an exalted Lord. The second figure is someone who is exalted by Yahweh. And this particular passage was applied to Jesus by early Christians, especially the Apostle Paul. So the Lordship of Jesus that is quite commonly attributed to Jesus by the Apostle Paul is the risen and exalted Lord that is alongside Yahweh, not confused with Yahweh. Lord there being a title, not a way of referring to God's personal name. But Paul seems to be able to hold two truths at the same time. Paul is able to say, on one hand, that God has shared his personal name, Yahweh, with the resurrected Jesus, 
and thus empowering Jesus quite greatly. On the other hand, Paul is also able to say that Jesus was considered the exalted Lord figure who is alongside Yahweh as depicted in Psalm 110 verse 1. And in both points, Yahweh and Jesus are never confused, they are never equated, and they are never collapsed into a single being. And it's also important to note the obvious fact that since Jesus was raised by God, this indicates that Jesus died, meaning that Jesus was mortal, and mortality is a trait that Yahweh does not possess. Yahweh, the true God, cannot die, but Jesus died, indicating a clear and unarguable distinction between Jesus and God. So what's going on in Romans 10? We do have a Yahweh passage used of Jesus. Paul is likely attributed Jesus a significance in that God has shared his name with Jesus, but the confession of Jesus as Lord is a title of superiority, likely the Lord that is alongside Yahweh in Psalm 110 verse 1. Paul does not seem to expect his readers to confess Jesus as Yahweh. That would be a mistake. Let's move to our third and final point, which is the arguments of David Capps. Who is David Capps? Well, David Capps is a leading scholar that has written a lot and published a lot on the way that Paul uses Yahweh text for Jesus. And Capps sees in the way that Paul uses these texts, evidence for an early high Christology. We can look at some of the publications of David Capps to see the arguments that he is raising, and David Capps is a prominent scholar in the early high Christology camp. He has a book published in the 90s called Old Testament Yahweh Text in Pauline Christology. Since then, he has published an article titled Yahweh Text and Monotheism in Paul's Christology. And as recent as last year, he published another article entitled Jesus' Unique Relationship with Yahweh in Biblical Exegesis. In each of these publications, David Capps argues that Paul cites Yahweh text for both God and for Jesus and the fact that Paul is able to do this for Jesus is indicative of Paul's high Christology that was early on. It wasn't something that developed over many centuries in church history. Now, in the arguments of David Capps, he notes that there are six times that Paul will cite a Yahweh text to refer to the Father. It's interesting that when he sees a Yahweh text referring to God, Capps thinks that that refers to the Father. I think that's quite telling. But he also has six citations of Yahweh texts that refer to Christ. And Capps thinks that those passages are Romans 10.13, that we've already looked at, Romans 14, verse 11, 1 Corinthians 1.31, 1 Corinthians 2.16, 1 Corinthians 10.26, and 2 Corinthians 10.17. In our following episodes, we will go through each of these texts and see, is it true that Jesus is the referent of this Yahweh passage? Is it ambiguous? Could it potentially refer to God? If it does refer to Jesus, what are we to make 
of these references. We will go through each of those references to see how strong the case that David Capps is making. Now, he also has three texts that allude to Yahweh but are used with Christ as the reference. So these are not direct quotations. These are allusions. And these three texts would be 2 Corinthians 3.16, Philippians 2, 10-11, which we looked at earlier today, and 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Now, I've already acknowledged that out of the nine texts that either directly use a Yahweh text for Christ or allude to a Yahweh text that refers to Christ, out of those nine texts, I've already agreed that two of them do, in fact, refer to Jesus, but I've argued that they are used in a way of God empowering Jesus with his name, or God uh, empowering the exalted Jesus, but also regarding Jesus as the second Lord who is alongside Yahweh per Psalm 110, verse 1. Now, it's easy to say that Paul cites Yahweh texts for Jesus, but those passages have to be interpreted. You can't just state a fact. The fact requires interpretation. And so when I read the arguments of David Capps, I'm drawing out from his own published articles seven particular conclusions that he has drawn. And I want to go through and I want to interact with them in a short way. We will return to these in future episodes, but I think it's very interesting to see the sort of conclusions that Capps draws from seeing that Paul cites Yahweh passages for both Father and for the Son. The first conclusion that he makes is that by applying to Jesus the divine name through scriptural exegesis, Paul includes Jesus within the name and dignity of God. So Paul includes Jesus within the name of God. I'm not sure exactly what that means. That is a little bit vague. What does it mean to include Jesus with this name? It seems to suggest that Jesus innately does not possess the name Yahweh, and that Paul is including Jesus within this as an act, as a sharing of power, as a level of empowerment and exaltation. But I think that passage is something that is grossly in need of unpacking and further interpretation. The second thing that Caps concludes is that Paul identifies Jesus with Yahweh himself. Okay. But what way does Paul identify Jesus with Yahweh? Like that identity type language has been criticized by scholars, by James McGrath and by Jimmy Dunn and by others, Daniel Kirk. And it needs to be unpacked. What does it mean of this identifying Jesus with Yahweh? Now, what I think is interesting here is that Caps says Yahweh himself. By using that pronoun, isn't Caps conceding that Yahweh is a single self, is one single person. So by identifying Jesus with Yahweh, that would be two persons. He doesn't seem to be arguing for a Trinitarian interpretation, at least on the way that he is wording this particular conclusion. But I must push back and say that a conclusion that says that Paul identifies Jesus with Yahweh is grossly in need of unpacking. You need to tell me what you mean by identifying Jesus with. And of course, there is a big difference between identifying Jesus with Yahweh and identifying Jesus as Yahweh. Those are two different 
proposals. The third thing that CAPS concludes is that it provides the basis for the application of the title Theos to Jesus. And he cites Romans 9.5 and Titus 2.13. Of course, it makes sense that if Yahweh is going to share his name with Jesus, then it's not unreasonable to think that God can share the title Theos with Jesus, to call Jesus God in the sense of God sharing that title and that authority with Jesus. The problem is that Caps provides two passages that are grammatically ambiguous onto this particular point. I have entire episodes dedicated to whether Paul calls Jesus God in Romans 9 verse 5, and I argue extensively in that passage that Paul doesn't call Jesus Theos in Romans 9 5. And just a few weeks ago, I did an entire episode on Titus 2.13, probably written by one of Paul's disciples, but it's Pauline in theology. And I argue that Titus 2.13 is not likely calling Jesus the great God and Savior. So while I agree with the conclusion, which is that God sharing his name, Yahweh, with Jesus, would be a basis for the application of the title Theos to Jesus, in the sense of sharing privileges. I don't think the passages that he gives here, Romans 9.5 and Titus 2.13, as a basis to prove this point are actually very persuasive. The passages he gives are grammatically ambiguous, and all commentators agree on that particular point. The fourth thing that Cap says is that Paul's practice accounts for Jesus' preexistence. I don't think it does. This is where I'm going to push back and say I think that Caps is reaching here. God sharing his name with qualified agents doesn't mean that those agents pre-exist their birth. God has shared his name with an angel in Exodus 23. That doesn't prove that the angel pre-existed his birth. God shared his name with Solomon. Solomon didn't consciously pre-exist his birth. God calls Moses God, the judges God, and the Davidic king God, and Moses didn't pre-exist his birth, the judges didn't pre-exist their birth, these Davidic kings didn't pre-exist their birth, this conclusion is not logically drawn from the evidence that's here. So on that particular point, I am pushing back, and I think that he is reaching there. The fifth point, which I heartily agree with, is that Caps says that Paul never confuses Jesus with God. Absolutely, that's right. This is an honest confession where David Caps honestly says that Jesus and God are never confused. So to call Jesus God would not to be identifying him with God. And it would seem to suggest that his second point of Paul identifying Jesus with Yahweh himself seems to be in further need of unpacking. Because you can't be identified with something and not confuse the two of them. The sixth point that Caps draws for conclusion is that Paul continues to assert that Jesus is distinct from and even subordinate to the Father. Absolutely, every biblical Unitarian can give a hearty amen to that. So it's very interesting. If you're saying that Jesus is distinct from God, the Father, and subordinate to the Father, then whatever exalted title that God shares with Jesus is not going to change that subordinate and distinction that Paul clearly makes. So I heartily agree with his sixth point. His seventh point is that Paul remains a monotheist. I agree. 
But Jewish monotheism understood God as a single person. So if God is called Yahweh and Yahweh shares his name with someone else, that doesn't mean that there are now two in the realm of monotheism. It means that we have one God who has exalted someone alongside that one God as an authorized Lord. That's exactly what we see in Psalm 110, verse 1. So, having looked at Philippians 2 and Romans chapter 10 this week, we should take the time to look at the other passages that Dr. David Capps suggests refer to Yahweh texts that are used of Jesus. And I'm just going to give you a spoiler alert right now. I think that the list that Capps offers is deeply open to criticism and scrutiny. I don't think that many of the passages that he thinks are Yahweh passages referring to Jesus clearly and unambiguously refer to Jesus. I think they're more likely to refer to God himself. So in conclusion, we have observed that Paul cites Yahweh passages from the Old Testament to refer to both God and to Jesus. While the citations in reference to God are to be expected, the fact that Paul uses them for Jesus demands an explanation. In Philippians 2, verses 9 through 10, Paul alludes to a Yahweh text by referring to the allegiance that is due to Jesus in light of his resurrection and reception of God's own name, which God shared with Jesus. So while a Yahweh text is used of Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, the sense is that God has shared his name with Jesus, thus greatly empowering Jesus in an exalted way. Number two, we noted that another example where a Yahweh passage is cited for Jesus is in Romans chapter 10, which draws on a passage saying that all who call on the name of Yahweh will be saved. And Paul uses it in a new context regarding believing Jews and Gentiles calling on the name of Jesus. Since the Jesus who is being called upon is the resurrected and exalted Jesus, we can infer from Paul's theology in Philippians 2 that God has shared his name with Jesus, thus allowing for a Yahweh text to be used of Jesus. Furthermore, we noted that the more frequent way that Jesus' lordship is portrayed in Romans indicates that Jesus was the exalted Lord alongside Yahweh, as per Psalm 110, verse 1. Lastly, we began looking at the arguments and conclusions of Dr. David Capps, who is one of the leading proponents of Yahweh texts being used of Jesus in a way that suggests an early high Christology. The conclusions of Capps seem to offer mixed and some apparent contradictions. And we suggested that while he is correct in some of these texts that Paul uses for Christ, others are open to interpretation. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we look at some of these texts that David Capps puts forward as evidence that Paul cited Yahweh text for Jesus. Do these texts actually apply to Jesus? Or do they apply to God? And if they do apply to Jesus, how should they be read and understood? So please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy the podcast, 
please consider supporting us as we promote these important truths about the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode's description for a PayPal link. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. Its host is Dustin Smith. And until next time, you folks, please take care.